It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Racket and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we preview day three of the 2024 Australian Open, our final day of first-round singles action in both the women's and men's singles draws. Of course, as such, we still have 40 different singles matches on the calendar. That is a lot of tennis for fans to have to filter through. As such, the purpose of this podcast is to help you do precisely that. What are the matches you won't want to miss from day three's action in Melbourne? That's the question I'm going to try to answer for all of you listeners on today's show. I have my list of the most intriguing matches on the day, the matches for the nerds to enjoy, the matches, of course, that are most significant to the draw moving forward and so much more. I want to break down all of day three's action for you listeners on today's show. Not only discuss some of the matchups themselves, but again, get into the weeds. Talk head-to-head stats between these players. Talk about the tactical advantages I see one way or another and so much more. I always enjoy doing these preview podcasts as a personal exercise to help me try and filter through all of the day's action. So hopefully all of you listeners will find this this podcast useful as well. Of course, your friendly reminder, if you are looking for daily recaps of all of the action at the Australian Open, head on over to the Mini Break podcast feed. We got you covered over there. It will either be me steering the ship solo or myself with a guest. We'll try to mix things up, certainly with some guests over the course of the weekend and later on into the event. In the meantime, again, we had 32 matches on day number one, I think 54, 56 matches on day two. Now, another 40 here on day number three. It's a lot of tennis for all of you tennis fans to keep track of. Hopefully we here at Cracked Rackets are doing our job, excuse me, in helping you do precisely that, keeping you up to date on everything that unfolds at the year's first major. Last time I'll say it, but again, the purpose of this show to preview day three's action, our final day of first round play. Let's start with our women's singles matches on the board. Obviously, we're all excited to see top seed Iga Sviantek in action. She looked wonderful in her undefeated run in United Cup. Dropped just one set there as well. Of course, she's on a 16-match win streak entering this of action at the Australian Open and has dropped just two sets during those 16 matches, both of them to Caroline Garcia. Ultimately, obviously, Iga able to earn three set victories on each of those occasions. But again, that speaks to how dominant she's been. She ran through the field in Cancun at last year's tour finals pretty comfortably to end the year. And in my opinion, she looks even better to start this 2024 season again. 
was pretty much untested throughout her run at United Cup. Yeah, there were a few players who gave her a tough opening 30, 40 minutes, but is anyone ready to go the two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour gauntlet you need to beat Iga Svantec? That is certainly one of the biggest questions we have entering not just this event, but this season. Obviously, we know the elite power tennis that Arena Sabalenka, Elena Rabakina are capable of playing, but long way before we have to speculate about those matchups. In the meantime, Iga certainly looks like the class of the field, and she's going to get tested in round number one. She's facing a former Australian Open champion in 2020, Australian Open winner Sonia Kennan. Look, is this the Kennan of 2020? No, she's probably still not quite back to that level, but obviously Kennan picked things up to end last season, a run to that San Diego final where she knocked off Navarro, Potapova, Kudermatova. The very next week, she goes to Guadalajara, wins over Ostapenko, a very much informed Fernandez on her way to the semifinals there. Slower start to her 2024 campaign losses to Rodianova, Daria Seville, respectively. I will say Kennan played a really high level, probably should have won that first set against Seville. And had she won that first set, I think it would have been her who ran away with the second because that was an hour plus physical first set in Hobart. Still, Kennan now 24-20 and 20 overall since the start of last year at the tour level. Has obviously picked things up of late. Is she ready for the Iga Sviantec test of tests? If her 1-2 and two loss to Sabalenka in Beijing at the end of last season was any indication, I would argue no. She also lost a tough one 1-1 one one to Marketa Vondrosova at the Billie Jean King Cup Finals again. Iga's just now better than Kennan at everything. And look, these two have played once before Sviantec, a 4-1 win, obviously, when these two went head-to-head in the Roland Garros final back in 2020, Iga's first slam title. So there is some history there. I think Iga cruises. I just think, again, her physicality and her ability in particular to draw the ball into the outer thirds. If you can get Kennan off center, if you can prevent her from hitting with her feet set, she's a completely different player. Again, the movement's just not quite back to where it was prior to all the things that have gone against her over the past couple of seasons. I think Iga cruises and reminds everyone she is the class of the field entering this event. But again, Sonia Kennan on the right day can be dangerous. We saw that first round at Wimbledon when she beat Coco Goff. Obviously, we know the tennis she's capable of playing. It's a fun test. It's certainly two highlight and or excuse me, two headline names as a first round matchup. So that's the match I wanted to talk about first. Again, top seed Iga Sviante kicking off her 2024 Australian Open against Sonia Kennan. I would expect her to advance, but don't be surprised if Kennan rips a few winners along the way because she is prone to doing that. A fantastic ball striker. If you're looking for power tennis, the matchup is Rabakina versus Pliskova. And for what it's worth, you look at the career head-to-head between these two, pretty lopsided in the direction of Rabakina. Three love is the career head-to-head. All those matches on hard courts, all of them straight set victories for Rabakina. The most recent, a 4-2 and two victory in Abu Dhabi in February of last year. Obviously, Pliskova's got quarterfinal points to defend. It's a massive moment for her ranking. Otherwise, she's in jeopardy of legitimately falling outside of the top 50 after an injury-plagued 17-20 2023 campaign. Looked good in Brisbane in matches against Ostapenko. Pliskova, respectively, did not look good in Adelaide loss 2-1 to qualifier Katerina Sinyakova, though Sinyakova did play particularly good ball in that match. I mean, again... Rabakina saw her power tennis disrupted by the line drive, beat you to the spot, 
aggression of Ekaterina Alexandrova in Adelaide, in, uh, yeah, in Adelaide in week two of the season. But Rabakina had already answered all the questions I needed to see from her, and I just don't think Pliskova moves as well as Alexandrova does. Rabakina certainly got Alexandrova stretched at times. Alexandrova better prepared to respond in those moments than I think Pliskova will be in this matchup again. It's a tough spot for Carolina Pliskova, 38 right now in the rankings. I'm not sure if the Australian Open points have fallen off her resume or not. If they do, outside the top 50, again, precipitous decline potential if she drops this match in Rabakina. Obviously, the favorite entering this one, again, 3-0 in the career head-to-head. You look at our friends at Tennis Abstract, Rabakina, 80.4% favorite. By the way, Sviantek, 93.5% favorite. So the singles forecast seems to feel as I do. I do think both top seeds advance. But again, you have Sviantek taking on a former Australian Open champion, you have Rabakana taking on a former world number one. Two headline matches to kick things off on day number three on the women's side of things. So certainly looking forward to those two throughout the course of the day. And for what it's worth, Sviantek, I believe she is what? Does she start the day? Where is Sviantek? Yeah, she starts the day on Rod Laver Arena. Rabakana kicks off the night session on Rod Laver as well. So the Australian Open schedulers feel much like I do. Those are your two headline matches, certainly from a names perspective on the women's side. I might like the next three matchups better just from a purely tennis viewing standpoint. Certainly like the contrast in styles in theory in the matchup between 14th seeded Daria Kasatkina and Peyton Stearns. Now, Kasatkina, of course, made a final last week in Adelaide, got beaten pretty handily in that final by Ostapenko, but... Who doesn't like a final in the first two weeks of a season to kick off your year? She'll take on a Peyton Stearns, whom she is 2-0 against. Kasekina, two wins over Stearns. One of them in the Roland Garros third round. Owen won the other last year's Cincinnati round of 64, 2-1. That is confounding to me. Because in theory, in my mind, Peyton Stearns has the two biggest weapons on the court. She has her serve. She has her forehand, which certainly from a pace perspective, from an aggression or offensive standpoint, stand out to me at least as the two most successful weapons. Now, obviously, Stearns lacks the consistency, dare I say, the shot discipline the fluidity. There's a lot of things Daria Kasekina has advantages in. She's obviously going to be positioned with her backhand, with her speed to at least get a clean rip on the Stearns kick serve. But again, Stearns is going to have a lot of court to work with for the plus one forehand, and yet she just has not been able to do so in any of her matchups against Kasekina thus far. And Again, this is a big moment for the draw that Kasekina 16th is one of the most open sections we have. Stearns Heavy underdog, according to Tennis Abstract. Kasekin, an 83.3% favorite. But you look at some of the other players. I think Callan Sky is playing pretty well entering this event. Sloane Stevens, obviously, always a wild card. You feel like she matches up pretty well with Kasekin as a potential round two matchup. But again, in theory, Peyton Stearns, who made a round of 16, of course, at the U.S. Open last year. In theory... Her weapons have should have success against Kasekina. Clearly, the results say it's in theory only. Can she change something here in her third attempt? I guess we'll let the tennis tell us the story. Kasekina, again, ultimately taking on Peyton Stearns. That's one I suppose you have on upset alert on the day. The other two matchups I have in my must-watch category on the women's side, both matchups between two unseeded players, but both equally intriguing. In my mind, certainly I am fascinated to see if Emma Raducanu 
can sustain the level we saw from her uh, to kick off the season in what was ultimately a three-set loss to Alina Svitolina in Auckland. Radakana with three-set win over Elena Gabriela Russa in round number one. Again, gets knocked out 6-1 in the third, but in what was ultimately a 6-7-7-6-6-1 match against Svitolina. Radakanu faded a little bit physically, certainly down the match in that round of 16 battle, but the first two sets of tennis she played, I'm telling you, it was the highest level I've seen from Radakanu since her run to the 2021 U.S. Open title. And by the way, the one time she's faced Shelby Rogers was on her run to that title, round of 16, a 2-1 win for Radakanu. Now, we haven't seen Shelby Rogers play since Wimbledon last year. Obviously, injuries, a bunch of different things hampering her 9-13 2023 year. As such, she's fallen outside the top 100. But look, when the 31-year-old's fit, when she's in form, obviously plays elite power tennis and can put some serious pressure. Maybe not elite power tennis, but very good power tennis can put some serious pressure on you. That said, Raducanu was moving so well in Auckland, particularly those first two sets against Svitolina. She was finding the line extraordinarily well. She was moving, again, I was going to say as well as well, and I tried to stop myself from doing that, but I was really impressed by the level of Radakanu, who right now 299 in the world. If she can just get a couple wins under her belt to kick off this year, even if it's not a quarterfinal Australian Open appearance, but if she can knock off Shelby Rogers here in round number one, you compound that with the win in Aust- uh, in Auckland. Maybe she does get a round win, a round two victory over a 22 seeded Serana Kirstea. Certainly, of the seeds you could play, you'd probably put Kirstea near the top of the list, just given how dangerous some of the other seeds are. But it's a great litmus test for both. Again, I want to see what Rogers' level looks like. Could we see her get back to the top 50? Has that window closed for Rogers? Certainly Radakanu, a good test in trying to see that. And again, looking forward to seeing Radakanu's level as well. That Auckland event was the first time we had seen her since Stuttgart last season. And I really enjoyed what I saw in Again, Radakan is still under the uh, tw- eight, under the age of 23, so I have that one as one of my matches to watch for what it's worth, according to Tennis Abstract. Radakan, a 51.2% favorite, last but certainly not least, and this one's more out of respect probably than anything else. Danielle Collins taking on Angelique Kerber, one one. The career head-to-head Kerber a one and one victory when these two played on grass in Eastbourne. Collins 0 and two victory in the Australian Open round of 16 back in 20. 20- 2019, a run Collins ultimately ended up in the semifinals in. Neither has had the most inspiring start to 2024. Collins, a win in Brisbane over Halle Baptiste in three sets, then a 7-6 in the third loss to Ju Lin. Two and three loss in Hobart to top seed Elisa Mertens in round number one on the Kerber side of things. To her credit, she got five matches in in United Cup. This is someone who hadn't played since 2022. I'm sure that's what she was looking for more than anything else. Germany obviously ultimately capturing the title despite Kerber's one and four record. Losses to Sakari, Iga, no shame in that. A three set loss to Garcia, straight set loss to Paulini. Also, that 7 6 in the third win over Isla Tomjanovic. Obviously, Danielle Collins has the power advantage from the baseline. She's the one who swings a little bit more freely, obviously going to be a little bit more volatile, provide more unforced errors throughout the course of this match as well. But again, like 
why this is such a fascinating matchup is because Kerber floats the second serve. It's a liability, and that ball is just going to be sitting there like a grapefruit for Collins to see and swing through cleanly. And thus, you know, again, Collins' movement isn't going to get stressed in ways maybe it has been so far this season that has gotten her in trouble. That said, watching the Mertens match, again, watching Mertens counterpunch her way, let maybe Collins open up an angle and then Mertens beat her down the line or beat her to the spot, that play is going to be available for Angelique Kerber as well, who is clearly fit as a fiddle as she makes her return to the court as well. That was maybe the most impressive part of the United Cup. Even if the results went her way, uh, didn't go her way physically, she never faded in any of those matches. Again, had break points to go up 3-2, 4-3 on Iga in that opening set. Iga then, maybe that's the one match where Kerber faded, but it was also match number five, and Iga does that to just about everyone. It's, it's an excellent, I'm going to use this term again, I apologize, litmus test to see each of these players' levels. And you certainly have questions about Collins after her disappointing 2018 a 2020, uh, and 18 2023 campaign where, again, there are certainly some injuries but a lot of ups and downs. And we haven't seen Kerber play at a major in a year and a half. So obviously some questions following the three-time major champion. Winner's going to face Iga. So, you know, again, I think they're – run ends in round two, regardless of who wins this one. But for Iga, you're probably rooting for Kerber because I just don't see a scenario. I don't think Kerber has the weapons to beat Iga. I just, I don't see a world where Kerber's beating Iga ever right now. Collins can get hot. Like I've seen Collins beat Iga at the Australian Open back in the 2022 semifinals, I believe. And so if you're Iga, you're team Iga, you're probably rooting for Kerber Again, I want to see what Collins' level looks like because we know what her peak can be. Slam finalist sort of stuff. And Melbourne has always been the slam where she has succeeded the most. I'm going to pick Kerber, but I think that match goes three sets more than maybe any of the matches we have discussed thus far. I think for Stearns to beat Kasekina, she's got to be hot from the start. The longer that match goes, the more you feel like Kasekina can break Stearns down or Stearns just will start to break down. Again, if Rogers is hot, she'll win in straight sets. If not, I think Radakanu's got her in straights. This one I'm not sure about. I think this one goes three. I'm going to take Kerber. I think Kerber sneaks through, but again, I'm not really sure what to expect in that one. That's why I have to have it on my list. And then for the nerds, just a couple to rapid fire through. Victoria Azarenka could legitimately make a final at this event. She's playing that well to start the year. And, you know, the analytics have always loved her. She's one of 11 players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage over the last 52 weeks. You never know what Camilla Georgie you're going to get. But, I mean, again, what if she's hot on this day? She moves well, certainly has firepower to make anyone uncomfortable. I think that one's for the nerds. You look at the tennis abstract singles forecast as a rank of 56.4% favorite. That feels lower than it should be. That speaks to perhaps what the peak of a Georgie can look like. By the way, Radakanu, 51.2% favorite over Rogers. Daniel Collins, Kerber, Collins, the 76.1% favorite. I also have Emma Navarro against Wang Shiyu in the for the nerds category. The 27th seeded Navarro coming off of her first title last week in Hobart. Takes on a, a big swing in lefty in the 22-year-old from China, Wang Shiyu. Navarro, 59% favorite. I'm never worried about her physically. Like She, like Jessica Pagula, like Maria Sakari. She's just one of those players who can play a lot of tennis, and it feels like is always in good enough shape to be match tough. Like That's just the sort of competitor that she is. 
doesn't have a lot of weaknesses in her game, and yet she's a good, not great athlete. And I do wonder if the weapons, the pace of Wang Shiyu might expose that fact and get her in trouble again. I think Emma Navarro's must-watch TV right now. Her rapid rise, just how high is that ceiling? How high can she continue to climb? How much better can she continue to get at such a rapid pace? She'll certainly get tested again against the free-swinging lefty Wang Shiyu. So that's in the further nerds category. You like power tennis. Two rising stars, Jung Chin Wen, the 12th seed, taking on Ashlyn Kruger. I mean, Kruger, again, a young American, 19 years old, who had her first breakthrough title moment at the end of last season. Chin Wen's the 85% favorite she should be. I think her power, her physicality, she's just more developed and better at all the things right now than Kruger right now. But two young stars to keep an eye on. And this one is a truly for the nerds category. Katie Bolter. If she sustains her level that she did against Jessica Pagula at United Cup, we're just going to be talking about her more this year. She's taken on last week's semifinalist in Hobart, Yuan Yua. The 26-year-old from China just hits a springy ball. And it's just going to be a fun match. The line drive pace of Bolter versus, dare I say, the more, again, spinny, outer third-centric tennis of Yuan Yua. I'm excited for that one. It's a fun contrast of styles. It's on the Further Nerds list. Bolter, a 60.4% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. That is my list of must-watch matches on the women's side. On the men's side, I got a must-watch and for the nerds, excuse me, on the women's side. On the men's side, I got five in the must-watch category, three in the Further Nerds section. Let's start with the must-watches. I think the highest level of tennis we're going to see tomorrow is going to be 28th-seeded Talon Griekspor taking on unseeded Roman Safari. Fuel in now. If you are a longtime listener of our Crack Rackets podcast, you know my thoughts on Safulin's level. I think the guy is playing top 25 tennis uh, at least over his last six months, maybe, of play. If you want to go all the way back from uh, to his run to the Wimbledon quarterfinal. Now, loses second round, U.S. Open to Tommy Paul, but was up two sets to love in that match. He then makes the final in Chengdu, beats Musetti, Dan Evans before a three-set loss to Zverev, then beats Zverev and Murray the very next week on his way to a three-set loss to Ben Shelton in the round of 32. By the way, he then beats Ben Shelton to start this season on his way to the Brisbane semifinal where he beats Arnaldi, Popperin as well. Obviously, another big one, a win over Alcaraz in the Paris round of 32 where he got in as a qualifier. Roman Safulin enters this event at a career high, 36 in the rankings. The 26-year-old is playing that well right now. And look, I mean, again, I have always said Talon Griekspor is one of the more underrated players we have on the ATP Tour. 28 in the world, reached a career high 21 last season. He's 32-26 and 26 in his last 52 weeks. Two, uh, two finals appearances as well as a title. Eight different quarterfinals at the tour level during that stretch, including across all surfaces, indoor, outdoor hard courts. Actually, he doesn't have an outdoor hard court. Oh, no, he does Washington. So indoor, outdoor hard courts, clay courts, grass courts. He's been pretty solid everywhere. Again, the slams has been where he has, or at least hasn't had a notable breakthrough over the past year. Made round of 32 at the Aussie last year. Second round Roland Garros, then first round exits at Wimbledon, the U.S. Open. So he didn't have the slam success to accentuate what otherwise was a really successful, his most successful ATP tour season. And again, Greek sport's pretty good at everything. Forehand backswing is big, but man, if he gets a clean rip of that forehand, you are just in trouble because he follows it forward so well. So comfortable as a volleyer can do just about anything with the backhand, slice, drop shot, down the line, cross, angle, drive, you name it. 
These are two really complete players. I think Safulin hits the ball a little bit flatter, holds the ground, holds his ground on the baseline a little bit tighter. It's less frequent that you see Safulin six to ten feet behind the baseline than you would a Greek Spore, who again has that bigger forehand backswing, needs a little bit more time to get into his arsenal. But again, two guys who are. They don't blow you away with their athleticism. They are smooth in and out of corners, smooth movers moving forward. They're just two guys who are really good at everything. This is a really tough first-round match because both guys, I think, could make the third round with better draws. Of course, you look, Safulin actually the 54.1% favorite, and I would lean that way as well, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast. Both these guys, this is a brutal 16th of a draw. You've got Runa, Safulin, Greek Spore, and Arthur Feast all in this section. Winner of Safulin Greek Spore likely to face Feast if he can get by Yuri Vesely in round number one. Who Again, any of those guys, Safulin Greek Spore, Feast could absolutely prevent Holgaruna from reaching week two at this Australian Open. All three flashed levels of playing that well over the course of the last 52 weeks. Safulin in particular, Feast as well over the last six months. I'm going to agree with the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast. Deep breath there as I take Roman Safulin to advance out of this first-round match. And I think Romo versus Runa might ultimately be one of my favorite third-round matches if we do get there. If it's Feast versus Runa, by the way, all in on that as well. Two young guys battling for a second-week appearance. Feast having to get through one of his peers to try and make his first second week at a major. Anyways, this is my favorite first-round match on the men's side. Greek Spore versus Safulin, one to keep an eye on. Uh, you look at the career head-to-head between these two. There is no career head-to-head. It's a first matchup uh, between these two. Uh, happening, of course, the first round here of the major on day number three. The other matchup I would turn to next is also a first career head-to-head between two guys who have become a part of our lives of late. Certainly, Marcos Giron hasn't become a top 50 staple, but he's ended each of the last three seasons at a new career high, or each of the last three seasons, I should say, higher than where he started the year, and that each of his progressions have come within the top 80 of the ATP rankings. It speaks to the slow and steady improvements we've seen out of the soon, uh, out of the now 30-year-old former NCAA singles champion, a guy who, by the way, at one point thought he would be too injured to continue his pro career, was starting to coach at UCLA, but a couple of surgeries and a lot of rehab later, here he is now, a pretty steady top 75 guy. Has lost three consecutive, entering this one first round loss to Daniel Altmaier in Auckland, the one match he's played this year. He did make a semifinal run in Tokyo where he beat FAA and Kasper Ruud before getting knocked out in three sets by Ben Shelton to end his season in October. Marcos is a tough out. He's going to push you physically. Again, you just you have to play top 50 tennis. He's a good gateway, a good litmus test guy for are you a top 50 player right now on the ATP Tour. The problem is, I think his opponent unequivocally is in Jack Draper. And for those concerned, Draper, of course, coming off of a loss, a tough three-set physical loss in the final of the Adelaide tournament last week. He's had, what, Sunday, Monday, two full days to recover? He's 22 years old. And yeah, physical issues have been the only thing keeping him out of the top 25 of the rankings. But guy looked locked in throughout the course of Adelaide. Obviously got a massive win over Tommy Paul. Played really good tennis against both Bublik, Lachechka in the uh, semis and finals as well, even if the forehand wasn't quite as magical as it was against TP in the quarters. 
Draper's the more complete player. Draper serve forehand combination is the biggest plus one, uh, is the biggest weapon combination, excuse me, we have in this match. The pace he plays with, the spin he plays with can kind of jam Garon, who is a little handsy with his technique. Again, Marcos is going to come up with some amazing on-the-run shots. That's what he does from time to time, and he's going to test Draper physically. I think Draper gets through, but again, it'll be a good test just to see what is Draper's level entering this event. Are there any lingering physical wary or any lingering physical wariness from the week prior? If there is, Giron will exploit it. Uh, that is certainly a matchup I'm looking forward to. Again, Jack Draper taking on Marcos Giron tomorrow in round one. I also like another American, Mackie McDonald, former UCLA NCAA singles champion. And I will say this again as a promotion for college tennis. Our coverage, our first broadcast, going to be this week on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. There was a team, 2014, UCLA. Marcos Giron played two singles. Mackie McDonald played three singles. Top 400 player in the world, Carousel, played five singles. That team did not win the NCAA tournament. Instead, that year, it was a UNC team led by number top 50 player, Yannick Hanfman, a couple of other guys as well, Roberto Quiroz, who's a top 200 player, etc., on the list of that squad. Again, a team with Mackie and Marcos Giron, two top 75 players, did not win the NCAA tournament. Now, again, Mackie was a freshman. There are a lot of other factors that I've talked about in the past that went into that, but it's always just one of the most amazing things. When I have more time on my hands to do a documentary about fantastic moments in college tennis, that one's like a little five-minute or that we don't discuss enough because, again, you look back historically, a crazy thing to remember, but for what it's worth, Mackie McDonald, again, he's going to take on Jerry Shung in round number one. Mackie 1-0 in the career head-to-head, got a 6-3 third set victory over Jerry in Zhuhai at the end of last season, but Jerry looked like a different guy to start this year. Semifinals in Hong Kong, beats Francis Tiafo, plays Andre Rublev to three sets. I mean, Jerry looked really good, really, really good to start his 2024 season. And again, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how he how he fares a wild card into this main draw. Like I think the 18-year-old's ready to make a top 100 leap as soon as this season. I think that's how successful he has looked of late. But, you know, again, it's 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 going to be a fun one. Like Mackie's speed. Mackie's been a top 20 returner now amongst top 50 players for the last 52 weeks. His ability to absorb pace, redirect pace, particularly if you're a lefty, giving him heavy topspin so he can flatten out his backhand that much more. He has the speed to track down the first strike of Jerry Shung. He has the physicality to see, yeah, there were some improvements from Jerry who played a bunch of three-hour matches in Hong Kong, but can he sustain that best of five, which again is a completely different monster. It's a great test for the 18-year-old early in the season. Again, a guy I have circled as a win-not-if sort of player to make a top 100 breakthrough. The lefty strikes the ball that brilliantly. There's that much action coming off of both wings. He has the bigger weapon. Mackie's the better mover. Mackie's the more physical of the two. This is a tough one because I think younger me would have taken Jerry Shung. Older me knows Mackie McDonald pretty well. 
it's an important match for Mackie McDonald, just given, again, the points he's got to defend uh, coming up this season. Mackie, 35-30 and 30 last year, made third round of this event last year, has a semifinal, quarterfinal, Delray Beach, Acapulco coming up, won a couple of matches, Indian Wells, Miami, respectively. It's a big stretch for Mackie McDonald. Hardcore stretch, obviously, has never been successful on clay. Urgency is why I'm going to take Mackie to win a tight five-setter, but this one has going the distance written all over it. Last two on the must-watch men's side. Carlos Alcaraz is just must-watch. He just is. Like I always like to joke, and remember, this is a joke, but the greatest of all time race is now between two people. It's Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz, who isn't even close to being the greatest of all time yet. But at the very least, he's not eliminated from the greatest of all time discussion. The way I would have, I would eliminate every other tennis player. Like unless Yannick Sinner wins four slams this year, right now it's it's Djokovic with a significant lead. Again, Alcaraz has got twenty one slams to go to try and catch him. But of all the humans who play tennis right now or have played tennis, it feels like the only one with even a shot of catching Djokovic at this point is maybe Carlos Alcaraz. So that's the nexus of that joke in case you haven't heard it before. Anyways, Carlos Alcaraz is going to roll tomorrow. He's taking on Richard Gasquet, who obviously has just fallen outside of the top 100. Alcaraz 1-0 in the career head-to-head. That matchup came on clay, which you feel like would always be a tough matchup for Gasquet. I just physically, again, the heaviness of the ball, all the things. Carlos is going to win, but he's must-watch, so he has to be on the list. And then again, two guys who feel like they've been top 50 players forever, Dan Evans, Lorenzo Sinego, going head-to-head in round number one. That's going to be high-quality tennis. Feels like it has five sets written all over it. Sinego 2-0 and in the career head-to-head, a 3-4 and win in Vienna back in 2020. Also beat Evans last year, 6-2 in the third in the Miami Masters. It's a big moment for both guys. Evans right now 40 in the rankings. Sinego currently sitting at 46 with the sunshine swing approach. And again, you want to keep your top 50 ranking. You don't want to have to mess with qualifying heading into a 1,000-level event. You want that comfort. Even if I have to draw a seed somewhat early, get me into the main draw. Let me compete for the big points. Let me try to consolidate, keep this ranking, get a shot moving forward, not have to go through qualifying beforehand. Anyways, there's some serious urgency to this matchup. And for what it's worth, Dan Evans, 56.6% favorite. But again, the heaviness of that Lorenzo Sinego ball, you can understand why it would give that Evans backhand in particular some difficulties, a little bit more tough, a little bit tougher, excuse me, for Evans to slice that ball or feel comfortable slicing that ball when it comes in as heavy as it does off the forehand, off the serve. Snago, a good mover as well, who's plenty comfortable going slice to slice on a backhand wing, not made uncomfortable by that change of pace. Again, Evans, 56.6% favorite despite the 0-2 career head-to-head. By the way, Alcaraz, a 95.8% favorite. Mackie McDonald, 66.3 against Jerry Shung. Jack Draper, 66.5 against Marcos Giron. And then, uh, as I alluded to already, Roman Sefulin, the slight favorite, 54.1 over Talon Greekspor. For the nerds on the men's side, you know what's must-watch TV? Tenasi Kokonakis competing in Australia. He always finds a way 
to go five sets. Always finds a way to get that Melbourne crowd engaged. He's taken on a rising Sebastian Ofner. Again, you feel like Kokonakis is the more established of the two, right? Wrong. Ofner, again, has played about 100 matches in the last 52 weeks. Sitting at a new career high of 37, a combination of challenger level, ATP success getting here him there. But I'll tell you what, the pace of Kokonakis' serve forehand can give that Ofner forehand trouble. So that one's for the nerds. Holgaruna, not quite must-watch in the Alcaraz category, but again, a young rising star so clearly. It's going to be a fun matchup. Yoshihito Nishioka is quick. Going to get him stretched. Like, I'm excited for that one, but Runa's backhand's too good. I think he gets through that one pretty comfortably. And then Arthur Fee, again, he's not in the Alcaraz must-watch category, but a young rising star who's inching his way towards there. He's got big serving Yuri Vesely in round number one. Fee, a 76.3% favorite. Runa, by the way, 67.5% favorite. Sebastian Ofner, 50.2% favorite. So that one's essentially a toss-up between he and Tanasi Kokonakis. That's that's my For the Nerd section. That's your look at a 40 singles match day three at the 2024 Australian Open. Now, of course, if you're looking for a recap of any of that action or have you missed out on anything at the 2024 Australian Open? If you have, you can catch up on it all over on the Mini Break podcast feed where we'll have recaps each and every day. A shout out and thank you to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A thank you as well to all of you listeners who continue to trust us to provide coverage of the year's first major. We will continue to do so here at Cracked Rackets each and every day. With that said, for our fantastic Super producer Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.